Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 through 12, as well as Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 22. Uh, One thing I wanted to note also um, about baptism um, is that uh, baptism is something that is extended um, for anyone or the opportunity is for anyone. If if you have not been baptized and you would like to be, uh, feel free to contact me about it. Um, Baptism is something that's open regardless of age, old or young. So last week, uh, we started this new series about, uh, it's called Called and Calling, where we look at what it means to be a people called by God and what it means to pursue our calling. And we rooted that in Joshua chapter 1, this call to be strong and courageous, noting that the, the strength and the courage that's needed to pursue God's calling comes from, in part, our, our steeped um, space in God's Word and knowing God's character and presence, that that gives us the courage and strength needed to respond to God's call. And today we're going to be looking at a different aspect of calling, how this calling extends into our places of work. Let's begin by coming to God in prayer. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts, that we may truly understand, and understanding that we may believe, and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Christ our Lord. Amen. From 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, dear friends, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Turning back to the Old Testament here in the book of Ecclesiastes, starting in verse 18 of chapter 3. I also said to myself, as for human beings, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down to earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? 
the word of the Lord. All right, well, I want to begin today by reading something from a blog. Uh, This is a blog that is written by someone who's 99 years old, and this is the second in a series that he began. And he began this at an interesting time in his life, a time where not many people start blogs. This is uh, when he was 98 years old and brought to ho- the hospital and told that he won't be returning from there. He was transitioning to end-of-life care, and he thought, this is an opportunity now for me to extend my lifelong calling into a new place. Here's an excerpt from blog number two. Um, he's on 36 now. He just uh, updated one four days ago, so he's going strong on it. From blog number two, his son Chris asked him, why keep writing, Dad? Why should I do it? I think it's to help Christians to not be afraid of death. For indeed, death is a cruel enemy, and we must meet it first in those we love and eventually in ourselves. And later, He explains it. We believe that God calls us to our eternal home individually and in unique ways. That is why these letters are being written. To come, as Paul exhorted to the Thessalonian Christians, exhort one another to build one another up even as you see the day of Christ approaching. Uh, So the person that's writing that blog is uh, Jim Houston. He's the founder of Regent College, the college that I went to, and I got to know him a a little bit while I was out in Vancouver. Uh, He was still teaching into his 90s. And he's living out a conviction here that calling is lifelong. This is something he taught, something he wrote about, and something that he lived out seeing that he is going to continue what he has always been called to do, even from the space of a hospital bed. He cites Thessalonians, just a chapter after the passage that we read, in his reasoning for what he does. He's called to be a person who exhorts and builds others up. Being cooped up in a hospital bed doesn't exempt him from calling, nor does it remove the possibility of being able to encourage when he takes on the creativity that God has given him. Now, I mentioned last week that that calling is something that we all have, whether we are nine or we're 90. Calling is for life. We, We never retire from the call to be Christian. There is no time where we can say that God is done with us. Calling, again, is also not a language to describe something that certain people have. All of us have callings. Calling is not just for missionaries or just for pastors. It's not just for people that are able-bodied and able to work and in the middle of their careers. It is for all. Uh, To look at the slide last week, we all have at least these three fundamental callings. We are called to belong to God. We had that reminder in baptism this morning. We have the call to live righteously, and we have the call into service. And this call towards service is something that I want to reflect on just a little bit more today and and how we experience that calling in the different places of work that we have. 
and we can talk about work from a very broad perspective here. Work is not simply the things that we get paid to do. Uh, it's not only the things that we leave home to do. Uh, work can be uh, the household things that we do. It can be volunteering. Uh, work has this very broad definition when we look at it. And I want to look at this in terms of the passage that we read, specifically the later parts. This morning, we saw the words that Paul has, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. Paul gives this reminder to the people that they are to, to work with their hands. And this isn't the first time he's given this teaching. He says, just as I told you. Uh, this is something that he had brought up before, and it's actually something he talks about again. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he, he references uh, this working with his hands again. And we also see it in other parts of the Bible. Uh, just a few weeks ago when we were in the Ten Commandments series, uh, we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 that people were not to be stealing, uh, but instead they are to work so that they could be generous. So Paul gives this call towards working with this goal that it enables us towards generosity to those around us. And here in 1 Thessalonians, we have a different take on why we're working with our hands. This time it's part of this broader call to love one another. Notice the section that this call takes place in. There's, there's no paragraph change when it gets to this exhortation to work with our hands. This is part of the same logic, part of the same movement of what it means to be a people who act in love for one another. And more, this is also a part of our witness to, to win the respect of outsiders. This is something that has a, a missional component to and it's not that this work is distinctively missional, the types of work that they're doing. He even says that they are to mind their own business, uh, that this is a quiet sort of work that they're doing, but it still brings a witness forward to what they believe. Now, it's worth noting again this broader context that Paul is addressing. This is... Uh, section, so we didn't read uh, a few verses earlier, but again, when he's looking at this section, he is describing what it means to be a sanctified people, what it means to be a saved people. And he goes on to talk about all sorts of really practical ways in which we live this out. This comes into how we uh, express ourselves in our sexuality, as well as the things that we do in our day-to-day. -day. It involves even <clears throat> what we do with our hands, our day-to-day -day types of work. Christians are the type of people in their love. We go out and we do things. We build things. We create things. Uh, when uh, N.T. Wright, a pastor and biblical scholar, talks about this passage, he notes that the love here for one another is expected to issue in practical support within the Christian community and even outside of that. So there's this really practical ways. Love's not just this feeling that we have for one another. Love is lived out towards other people. It, it leads him to this exhortation towards working with our hands. More than that, 
we can see that God's own expression of his love resulted in this total self-giving in the person and death of his son. Uh, that, that love always expresses itself into some forms of action. That Christian expression of that same love must have that same self-giving quality. And work alongside other things uh, is part of that expression. Now for Paul, when he talks about working, uh, it certainly extends, again, beyond just the things that we get paid to do. This can be in our volunteering, this can be in our school, whether you're in middle school or in university. This can be in your housework, this can be in the varied spaces where we volunteer our work. The things that we do extend to all parts of our life as well. And when we look at where Paul might be getting this sort of idea of that it is good to do be doing work, um, we find that the Old Testament has several places that we can look at, that, that Paul's drawing from Scripture in having this positive posture. Uh, a classic passage that we can turn to is Genesis chapter 1, uh, specifically looking at verses 27 to 28. This is the part in the creation narrative or creation story where God creates humanity. And he tells them they are made in the image of God and that they are given the command to fill the earth and subdue it. There's this command within there of working in the world, of bringing it into flourishing. And at the end of that, there's a pronouncement on that day. In the previous five days, God looks on the creation and it was good. And at the end of this one, he says it is very good. The, the, the very goodness of creation involves humanity there as God's representatives of people that work. So work, however we conceive of it, however we experience it, is something that is embedded into what we were meant to be doing. We were created for work. The biblical vision of human life is not sitting around and thinking about spiritual things. So as redeemed people, that's not the sort of thing that we limit ourselves to. We go out and we plant things, we harvest things, we, build, we, we bring the world into flourishing. It's part of what we're made for. And that doesn't even stop with our, our current um, understanding of creation or the current place we are in creation. This happens in the life to come as well. When we look at the later parts of the New Testament, we see that work is something that we are called to do in the new creation, in the life to come. Our calling in our service in our work is something that is good that we have and life-giving. Uh, think of that line from Ecclesiastes that we read. Despite this recognition that there's a sense of meaninglessness in the world, in all things it recognizes that we are to be a people who enjoy the work that we do. We are called into doing work that has meaning and that has purpose, that gives joy and creativity and constructive challenge for us. It brings us into greater maturity. It brings feelings of accomplishment that, that feeling of, of a good day's work. This is all part of God's creation as it was intended. But I think most of us can agree that that's not all of our experiences with work or with school. Um, there's another element to it. 
And then if we look back to that same uh, book, Genesis, and Genesis chapter 3, we see work comes up again. And alongside work, there's this curse that's given on humanity because of sin, that work has painful toil involved with it. Uh, it's, it mentions there's, there's thistles that come um, from the ground that will frustrate the work. And I think we all know what that kind of toil looks like, right? Toil is not just thistles growing in the ground for the ancient farmer. Toil is the, the lack of gratitude that we might get for the hard work that we put in. It's the meaningless tasks that you don't see how they contribute to, to your life or to the lives of others. It can be in repetitive tasks that don't challenge us towards growth or towards change. Now, the, the existence of these aspects of, of toil in our work doesn't mean that our jobs are bad or the types of work that we're doing are bad. It simply means that we, we live in a world that is impacted by this toil. And in a world that knows this toil, we are to be a people who seek meaning and joy and beauty in our work. That's part of why Paul mentions work, again, in Ephesians chapter 4, that they can be generous with others. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 4, and again, that next letter in 2 Thessalonians 3, that people should be working with their hands. It's part of how the redeemed people are to be in the world. As gospel people, as people been impacted by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, we, we work. And there's a few different ways in which we can see how the gospel shapes our work. Uh, work can be a way of blessing others. Even that quiet work that, that Paul calls us towards. This is a way of blessing fellow Christians and also a witness in the world around them. That we work and how we work isn't just this kind of fringe aspect of how we respond to the gospel. It's not just a side issue here, but something he includes that can be part of what's at the heart of the gospel, what we understand to living out this self-giving love and working, providing for one another. As people attentive to the gospel that Jesus preaches, we are to be people who show the redemption to a world that's been bogged down by toil. It means that we can be advocating, uh, so going kind of beyond what the passage has, we can be advocating for those that are working in spaces that have toil, uh, modern-day slavery-type conditions. It means that we can speak out and seek the changes that are there where we see suffering in people's work. It means that we actually can also look at our own work and the things that we do and not allow ourselves to transform it or reduce it to only toil. We can be looking in towards the deeper meaning that our work may have. So this, this sense of toil, this can exist in paid work, the, the things that we do for our jobs. It can be in the, the careers that we have. Uh, we can end up treating work simply as a paycheck, not challenging ourselves to see how does this contribute towards the well-being of others? How is this challenging me to grow as a person? In what ways can I be a blessing as I work? We can forget 
to have those questions that we bring into our day-to-day. This can also, though, be in the places where we aren't paid. Uh, For those of you that are in school, uh, there's work that can feel like toil there. Uh, I know that when I was in school, I was in school for a while, um, sometimes it felt like there were endless assignments. I could feel meaningless. If I lost the perspective in what I was doing, that it was equipping me into a calling, then it could feel just only as a burden. Or if I lost sight that I was actually given opportunities to to invest myself into something and take joy into throwing myself into those opportunities of creativity, then again, it could feel like toil. It takes intentionality in recovering the meaning that is intended in work. Now, the, the, the last aspect that I want to mention and just draw our attention to for a while on work is that we are to be a blessing in what we do, and this extends to our whole life. Our Christian calling even extends to our places of retirement, a time where we're not necessarily paid for the things that we do, but we're still called to be a blessing in varied ways. Uh, Paul Stevens, He's a teacher, uh, one of my teachers in the past, and also an author and a biblical scholar. He spent most of his life equipping Christians to think about how they see their work and their vocations, how they see their calling in the midst of that. And more recently, when he was in his late 70s, early 80s, he wrote a book called Aging Matters. Uh, this is a book that I'd, I'd highly recommend for anyone nearing the time of retirement or even younger than that or older. Uh, it has lots of wisdom, steeped in Christian wisdom, of what it means to be people that enter into these new stages of our lives where we can find richness that God may be calling us into. After all, Christians are called to Christian living for all of their life, and this means that we can change what we do from nine to five. We can officially retire from the jobs or the careers that we had, but there is no retirement from being people called to belong to God, to, to live righteously, to serve. These are callings that stay consistent in our lives. Now, one challenge that he gives in the book that I found interesting was that it's actually fairly recent for the church to have to try to navigate the challenges of retirement. He points out that retirement is a recent thing. The first country to have state-sponsored retirement is Germany, and it was in 1889. That's less than 150 years ago. And when it first became a thing, uh, the average retirement was about three years long, And over the next 100 years, it turned into 15 years long. So now there's this new phase of life uh, that the, the culture has a lot of values around that we have to discern what does it mean to live Christianly in the midst of. And now I don't know about you, Uh, But one of the first places that I was challenged to think about retirement uh, was not in the church. It wasn't a small group time or a message. Uh, It was at the bank. 
Uh, one of the first questions I was asked uh, regards to financial planning was, what's my goals for retirement? Do I want to spend the same way that I spend now? Do I want to be able to be in different places? Uh, what, what are the specifics on the goals there? And there is all sorts of other messaging that we can get from our culture of what we can be expecting for in retirement. Um, another kind of more extreme view is quoted in um, this book, Aging Matters. He's, he's referencing a Vancouver Sun article where a couple's being interviewed of what their goal for retirement is. The couple has this to say. Our goal would be to use the next 20 to 25 years of healthy living to do what we want. We just haven't been able to figure exactly what that means, except we know it means to work as little as possible and a warm climate. We don't plan on leaving an inheritance to anyone. Um, what, what that is pointing out, or that, that quote is given, um, in order to challenge maybe a more extreme view from this broader kind of secular opinion of what retirement ought to be. One of the things in there was that they would have 20 to 25 years of healthy living. That is not a guarantee in our lives. That there's another thing that no commitments and no generosity, that somehow that will lead us towards joy and fulfillment. And another part was that there was no work. Uh, we can reflect on that and to say, does, does the Christian calling have anything in response to a culture that may be pushing us, maybe not that far in that direction, but that are bringing in these new values for us? Well, for one thing, we can look at a little bit of what we're reflecting on this morning. We can recover the goodness within work itself and recognize that we don't need to stop work, we don't need to stop our calling towards service, even though the shape of that might change. We can see retirement as opening new possibilities of new work, voluntary or paid, that perhaps better fits your, your life experience, your talents, and your personality. It can be a time where we get to reevaluate the gifts that you have to pursue a recovery of life-giving, meaning-filled work. Whether this is volunteering for an organization or taking care of the grandkids, there's, there's opportunities for service in new ways. Maybe in the time of reevaluating, you find yourself that the, that the passions that you've had throughout your whole life are still there. Um, just to return back to Jim Houston there. This is the, the person that was writing that blog I mentioned earlier. Um, in that same blog post, blog post number two, he makes a connection towards this lifelong calling that he's experienced. And he, he goes back to a memory of his childhood. When he was just a small child, he had uh, diphtheria, which is something that had him isolated and in a hospital bed, much like how he experienced his time there. And when he was a child, he was just looking around and trying to find something to do, and he saw this calling that he had for encouragement of other people. So he would write down notes on pieces of paper and attach them to string and hang them out the window for passers-by so that he could at least extend this encouragement to others. And as he starts his blog here, he relates that same calling that he has 
Now he doesn't have to attach pieces of string to a window. Um, he has the internet. He has uh, different resources of getting that word out there so that the, the change is there in the form that it takes, but that calling has still stayed the same, this calling of being an encouragement and instructing others around him. This creative impulse to pursue where God is calling you is something I've seen in many people here. And I encourage you to, if you're younger, like me or younger than me, uh, to, to look around and to see the different creative ways that people in this community are pursuing their calling. There's so many beautiful ways of living this out. I can think of people that have continued working in the same jobs, but just at a diminished role so they can continue in their relationships. I can think of um, others who spend their time volunteering or helping with creative projects like gardening or woodworking. There's potential to see uh, where God might be calling you. And this broader call that I want to leave for everyone here, whether you're in middle school or you're approaching retirement, whether in the middle of your career or whether you're like Jim and you find yourself limited to just a bed in the day-to-day, -day, a time where most of your time is being served. Whatever the case is for you, I want you to consider what is your calling in the midst of this. How are you to take your call into the whole of your life? What can you be doing to reclaim your work and your play and your leisure and your volunteering as part of the good things that God is redeeming you into? As you take time to listen to what God may be saying, may you be strong and courageous to pursue where God may be calling you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you call us for life to undo the, the toil and brokenness in this world through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you call us to do this in every place. May we step boldly into the places where we sense your guiding. May we be strong and courageous as people steeped in your word. And may we do so with the reminder that you call us for the whole of our life. Whether child or elder, give us imaginations big enough to see how each of us is called to be your people and to live into that joy that you call us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.